Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Hover. I'm Simone de Rochefort, video producer at Polygon.com, and I'm joined today by Brianna Wu, Democratic candidate for Congress, and Christina Warren, senior cloud developer advocate and world traveler. <laughs> yes. To be slash has been. To be. To be, yes. Well, you, you you've traveled, but now you're just like stepping up to the next level of world traveler. <laughs> yes. Going to get all those perks that the world travelers get, the jet setters, as as we call you. I am going to hit platinum status um, on Sunday, so oh my I am excited about that. Oh, my God. That is awesome. Oh, my God. You should get your own, like, Christina private jet, and it should be rose gold <laughs> as you're traveling the world. That would uh, be awesome. I mean, I would love that. I That's not in the budget, but if anybody wants to fund it, uh, yes. Well, I'm going to uh, have a chat with Microsoft about that. That's absurd. No jet. Just next time I go to Microsoft, I'm going to be like, you see here, Sadia, yeah. like, this is how this is going to go. I'd like to sit like, down Chris, for a minute yes. and talk to you about yeah. something that's important to me. <laughs> and your employees. Christina gets the private jet or else. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be like, who is this person? And, I'm texting uh, him right now. <laughs> oh, gosh. Did you guys Can have I fun last week are? without me? We no, did, but we missed terrible. you. But it, we yeah, missed you. Great. Thank you We're, so much the... for letting me have the, the week. <laughs> well, tell Sad everybody call. why you missed last week. I mean, you were you were super sick. Oh, my gosh. I was horrible. And everyone is telling me to go back to the doctor. Just saying, if you'd listened to us to begin with, uh, uh, you yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. I did go yeah. to the doctor. I went on <laughs> Thursday, the, the day okay. after we recorded Rocket. Yeah. And they told me all I needed was fluids and rest. And look at me now. I'm doing He's, great. <laughs> Everything's <yeah>. fine. <laughs> so there. Yeah, you don't hey, have a cough or still feel sick or anything at all. No, of course not. <laughs> what about the tech industry? Bree, bring us home. Actually, right, I'll, so, I'll, I'll introduce yeah. what we'll be talking about overall today because we're yes, going to be talking yes. about uh, the Supreme Court's judgment of whether the antitrust case against Apple can move forward. We'll also be discussing PS Classic reviews, which are here hmm. and which are bad. And then we'll be discussing for dessert a very interesting and also horrifying case of an Instagram stalker. <laughs> but first, I'll throw it over to Bree to give us the lowdown on the courts. Yes. Uh, no, this is a really interesting case. Uh, so a lot of the headlines you've seen probably this week have been like Apple facing antitrust case, with, which is not quite accurate. Um, you know, in law, many times uh, the lawyers try to like beat the game by like making sure a party of the of the court case doesn't have standing. So, what is actually happening uh, next week is the Supreme Court is going to rule whether no, it, they, they'll, they'll be ruling in June. The 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 hearing. The, yeah, yeah. The hearing the hearing took place on Monday. The hearing took place on Monday. The argument in front of the Supreme Court took place on Monday, but the decision won't come down until June. No, uh, so the, the case that's coming forward, or the case uh, that was heard last week, basically is trying to decide if Apple is going to, if uh, you know, the plaintiffs against Apple have standing. So the, the core things in this case are they're, they're trying to allege that uh, 
you know, is Apple a monopoly? And they're using a very famous uh, court case from Illinois. What happened in that court case is you basically have one company making uh, building materials for uh, for the state of Illinois, and they had to purchase these items from this one brick company. And the state of Illinois ended up suing them you know, alleging that the cost of that markup was passed on to the state of Illinois, and it was very, very harmful to everyone involved. So the court case against uh, Apple is basically saying that in that same uh, vein, the App Store is a monopoly because users are forced to buy apps through that store, and uh, that, you know, basically this is harmful to consumers. Yeah. Apple's and, and, argument, and it, yeah. Well, no, and, to, and, and to, just to clarify that a little bit more, so the, the, the core argument is, is there's there's the, the that Apple is kind of a monopoly, but it really comes around price gouging. So basically the plaintiff in this case, who's an app buyer, a uh, 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 Pepper, is alleging that because um, Apple charges a 30% commission and markup on, uh, because it takes a 30% cut from developers uh, to sell in its app store, that's then passed on to end users and as a result has raised prices. So Correct. they're basically saying that Apple is 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 gouging customers and and because Apple is the only place you can get iPhone apps, um, it's a monopoly and and the price gouging is g- g- goes against um, antitrust um, uh, rules. Right. Now, the one of the ways Apple is kind of defending itself against this uh, case is, uh, you know, it's using a legal argument that they are basically a, um, you know, they are a dual agent for uh, people wanting to buy apps, saying that they have one relationship with consumers and then they have yet another relationship with developers. So they're kind of fulfilling this role as a dual agent, right? And that indemnifies them, and that's why, <laughs> according to Apple, um, you know. Basically, this court case has no standing. Um, Christine, I'd love to know how you feel, but my read on this case is, although I'm very sympathetic to the underlying issues of the case here, and I can certainly attest that when I have priced things on the App Store, we have absolutely just you know, put that 30% in there and passed it along to the people that buy our products, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's true. It's true. You sit there and you do the same thing with sales tax and insurance and sure. you know, like uh, legal fees that are involved. I mean, it's just another cost of doing business. Uh, even though I'm very sympathetic to the arguments here, I do think Apple has a stronger case as far as, uh, you know, do they have standing to have this case heard? What What was your opinion? Um, yeah, it's interesting because well, I have a couple points. One, even though I'm not sure about aspect, I mean, and I'm not a lawyer clearly, but I, I, parts of Apple's legal arguments seem not to make a lot of sense to me, which also kind of seemed to be part of the way the Supreme Court was was uh, reading things, or at least appeared that way based on their questions. Uh, although I should note, I've I've uh, read enough uh, Supreme Court, uh, you know, um, uh, questions and 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 transcripts of of uh, proceedings to know that. The questions that are asked and even the way that they're asked is not always a good indicator of how a vote will go down um, at, at all. In fact, sometimes you'll you'll think it's going to go one way based on the questions and it'll go the opposite way. Um, but although I I personally kind of feel like this this uh you know um uh you know dual market argument is in some ways a little bit of uh, I, I guess uh it fe- feels kind of disingenuous. 
I also don't love what the potential precedent could be um, in in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I feel like you can make an argument that for some of the distribution ways that Apple works, that it's 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 a monopoly and that it might be violating certain antitrust things. I think uh, 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 Ben Thompson he wrote an analysis of this in, in a um, Stratosherry, and um, it uh, did a a good job, I think, of kind of highlighting some other examples where where Apple, you know, abuses things. For instance, not allowing companies to have links to digital goods like like a you know the Kindle store, um, the Kindle app for I, for iOS. Um, you can't link to the actual online store to to, to buy books that way unless Apple gets a thirty percent cut. Um, as well as you know taking the the thirty percent you know uh, subscription fee for things like Netflix and Spotify and stuff like that. I think you can kind of make an argument in some of those cases that especially when they're um, competitors. You know, um, although there might be some instances where, and in other instances where, like, you could maybe make an argument that that Apple is, uh, you know, acting as a monopoly, and there might be some antitrust things. Again, I'm not a lawyer. In this case, I I don't know how I feel about this because, on the one hand, clearly the App Store is the only place you can get official iOS things, uh, but on the other hand, um, I feel like. The payment isn't necessarily indicative in this case. Like we're not talking about subscription things or in-app purchase things or, or things like that. But like the, the 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 markup that Apple's charging does seem to be different than just raising the price universally because it's not because I think that to to say that Apple's driving prices up artificially is wrong in the sense that the cost of of distributing apps in the App Store there's a cost to that. In that thirty percent, you get a number of things. You get payment processing, which is not insignificant. You get, you know, currency, you know, translation and whatnot, which is not insignificant. You get hosting of software, which is not insignificant. You also get distribution in a store, um, which again is in, in, in a storefront where people can find access to, which is not insignificant. So I do in some ways kind of believe, I mean, in some ways I feel like the argument is sort of silly to be like, oh, we have two different markets, but that's kind of true, right? Because on the one hand, Apple is selling a specific service to developers, and then it is also a marketplace for consumers. Um, right. I mean, can so, I say something there? Sure. There's also, you know, just to add on to that, like I haven't seen any of the analyses that really talk about the most valuable thing that Apple brings to the to the table, which is Xcode and all their APIs. You know, Scene Kit, Sprite Kit, ML Kit, you know, AR Kit, all these really, really wonderful frameworks that. You know, I think people don't understand just how much more complicated uh, developing for mobile was before Apple put out these really world class tools. Yeah, right. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I, mean I, I mean, I think that's right. I don't think that has any. I, I, I don't think that has any necessary. You know, like, like to me, Apple's not selling the acts. Their their develop their their development of iOS to me it doesn't isn't necessarily intrinsic on whether or not they're charging a thirty percent cut on the App Store. I'm just saying. I, I, mean, I would argue I mean, that that's part of that thirty percent value because I mean I, I mean maybe yeah. you could say that. I'm just saying the reason I don't think that's necessarily true is a you pay a hundred dollars a year as a as a developer that if anything goes towards it. B this fee is only charged if you're charging for apps in the App Store. If you're distributing apps for free, you're not paying anything. So. Mm-hmm. You know, but 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 I, I get what you're saying. But I'm just, you know, to me, it, it seems like 
you, we can quibble and we can have discussions about whether the 30% cut is fair for developers and whether that might be something that needs to be massaged. And we can quibble about whether some of the in-app purchase things, especially around competitor products, subscriptions, things that don't actually impact Apple's store or servers or anything in any way, or things like pro, you know prohibiting things like links. Like I do think that the, pro, the prohibition on having a link to the Kindle store is ridiculous. Yeah, that seems ridiculous. Um, I agree. It, it, I mean, I it, it, it is, but, but I don't feel like... You know, Apple charging what they charge. I don't feel like whether or not this case has the right yeah, to go for. I feel for, like I, I can't I, speak for developers, but I feel like it's a bit absurd to look at consumers paying too much because so many because apps are ridiculously cheap unless they're pro apps, and they're not. You know, they're time intensive to develop. I mean, if anything, you could make the argument that the app store pricing and that the the charts and that the 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 bare minimum requirements and whatnot that that's pushed software prices down. Yeah, um, yeah, that's but, a good but, point. But that, I mean, and I think most developers would agree with that. But again, that doesn't go to the underlying thing of can this can they sue or not? And and that mm-hmm. I don't really know. I mean, I almost feel like this is the sort of thing that even if this lawsuit is allowed to go forward, which is really what this is about, I feel like it, it wouldn't be guaranteed. That that consumers would win, that you would be able to sue for triple damages in this case, and say, oh, you're you're charging more. And in an Apple's own um, a, a brief to the court, they even kind of make that argument that this is based on the supposition that if this fee wasn't there, then prices would be lower, and that requires making um, you know decisions that uh, that the court has previously said can't be considered under uh, Illinois versus Brick. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm of the opinion that I think that there are some things that Apple does with their uh, app practices that are not okay and that should probably be evaluated. But I don't really feel like this is like that case, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I totally agree. No, I really agree with that. I feel like this, what I think is interesting about this case is the the part of it that was heard this week. Like none of us are really, it's such a technical legal argument that it's hard for us to have an interesting, like, you know, discussion about that. The wider question about the app store, you know, and the value of the 30%, that's much more interesting to me. But what I think is really, really true is, you know, we have a, we have a series of monopolies in like the mobile app system, right? Like Kindle is a monopoly, largely speaking. It's practically a monopoly. Um, You know, uh, I don't really think the Microsoft Store is monopolistic at all, but like certainly the Google Play Store, as it functions today, this is this feels monopolistic for that ecosystem. And yeah, I think there's I mean, a really, I mean, I mean the, yeah. the, the, the one area where Google could could have a difference here is that you do have the option on Android to install from outside the store. And in right. fact, you, you have, have that option. Yes. And, well, and, 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 and beyond that, I mean, that's how Amazon is able to distribute um, their uh, uh, Kindle Fire apps uh, are, are through, you know, a store like that. And, and increasingly companies that don't have direct relationships with Google uh, in China and other places, will put third-party app stores on. But I agree with you that, like it, you know, there, there's something there. So if the case does move forward and they say that Apple can be sued, it, you're saying it likely it, w- it won't necessarily open up other companies. Like it won't necessarily open up Google to that, but it could potentially open up Amazon to that kind of lawsuit. It could. Uh, potentially, although Amazon, I believe, also lets you enable a way to sideload apps. Mm. So I'm not really That's sure. True. You can put um, PDFs into 
Kindle. Um, what you could probably do, you might be able to say though that that Nintendo for the you know uh, for things on the Switch or um, you know Sony for the PlayStation Store or Microsoft for the Xbox you know store. I don't know. Like yeah, for for those specific anyone consoles, who controls it might both be hardware different. and software. Well, yeah, or, or who's the sole place where you can get content for that um, yeah. that thing? Um, See, this is where I don't really. I mean, I think there's a. I think there are good lawsuits to be brought forward here that have merit because, yeah. you know, we do have all these large vertically integrated uh, software ecosystems, Sony, Microsoft, like the Xbox, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Kindle, generally speaking. Uh, Google, generally speaking, these are all vertically integrated systems. That said, I don't think this is the best argument for looking at antitrust action because of that. Because the truth is, um, you know, they have a relationship not with the consumers, but with the developers. And when you have that DRM on a PlayStation you know, PlayStation 4, that exists to protect the investment made by developers. When you have something on the, uh, you know, I had lunch with Smile today and they were, we were talking about, you know, some of the people they've tried to, you know, steal their hash and sell text expander, uh, mm-hmm. you know, under a copycat name. And, right. you know, to a certain degree, these, these practices do exist to protect developers. So right. I think there's a really good discussion to be had here. I just don't think this particular lawsuit is it <laughs> yeah no i agree well and i think that what what's interesting about this and kind of the framing of this is that is that it's framing it in the sense that you want to be almost sympathetic to the party bringing the lawsuit against apple because they're basically saying oh you're charged too much and consumers should have the ability to to get refunds but again i i kind of feel like that's making a lot of assumptions as if prices would be lower without those fees when as I said, and as as we've discussed many times on this show before, and I've discussed with other people, like I, I think that the App Store, it's demonstrable that it has considerably lowered the price of mobile apps. That's and it, the and, thing. And it, yeah, I feel like it's kind of it's true, but it's kind of twisted around, right? I mean, because in addition to expanding the market by you know uh, hundreds of times. You know, there was an era like when you would buy things for the Palm back in the day, when you would buy things for BlackBerry, when you would buy things for, you know, maybe Symbian or whatever, where I remember paying like $20 for a um, BlackBerry IM client Ugh. in like 2006. Wow. Okay. Right. So, and, and, and that was not uncommon. So, were, there weren't a huge number of apps and, and obviously the apps were very different and of lower quality. Um, and, and the barrier to entry was higher because as, as you pointed out, the, the SDKs and those sorts of things were not as robust. Um, but apps did exist and, and, and frameworks did exist and people did sell them and they cost a lot more money. And, you know, most developers that I talked to, indie developers agreed that kind of the app store was this big race to the bottom. And so, you know, whether that has any legal merit or not in this particular, like this Supreme Court thing, I don't think that matters. But if you were to actually try to bring a, a lawsuit and, 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 and you know, argue mm-hmm. that the prices are higher because of this, I feel like that would be an adequate argument against that to actually show that the price of software has significantly decreased. Um, now, you know, if, so. if they do end up ruling that this case can't move forward, do the consumers have another avenue, I guess, to to hold Apple responsible for uh, what they pers- with the allegations? 
Apple, no. I, I mean, presumably they could Not sue the software case. developers. Yeah. Presumably well, yeah. they could sue the app developers themselves. But again, that feels... That feels like a low blow. I mean, it does, but but I don't know. I mean, I, I guess from this perspective, I don't think consumers would be able to, but... Uh, yeah, this particular case would be dead in its tracks. That doesn't mean, like, you could write a new lawsuit about anything, right? Yeah. So maybe they go back and get a stronger legal argument and bring it forward. I just, I, I want to circle back to something we were talking about, though. Like, the, the harm to consumers... Like the argument here is about the prices and like Christina, I really agree with what you're saying that it's hard to prove a price harm to consumers. I would argue if they opened up the app store to other venues of getting money, the real harm to consumers would be no matter how good Apple's internal sandboxing rules would be, it would really destroy the security of the oh. Apple ecosystem. Oh, and I think doubt. that would be huge. That would really yeah. hurt the oh, ecosystem. Well, well, which I don't think is what they're arguing. I think they're saying Apple shouldn't be able to charge a 30% fee. And and I right. feel like the one strong case in Apple's kind of argument is that they have a different relationship. But I also think that it goes to what I was saying at the beginning, which is regardless of how much you value it and whether you think it's worth 30% or not, it's impossible to say that what Apple is you know, giving developers for that 30% is without value because of course it has value. And do is it is it factored into the price? Yes. But as you were saying, Bree, so are what you pay for lawyers, so are what you pay for rent, yeah. so are the salaries you yep. pay for developers, so are, yep. you know, uh, taxes, so are any number of things that go into pricing, you know? Yeah. I, I would say I would say this. I think that um something really gets undervalued with that 30% is Apple acting as his buying agent for the tax systems all around the world. Like oh, when you develop software for Apple, they will come back to you and they'll say like, hey, we've just uh, added software for Zimbabwe or, you know, mm-hmm. some smaller country. And that is like meeting regulatory compliance with that is non-trivial. Meeting privacy law with those countries that is non-trivial. No, and, and that's and, a and, lot and, of work. Well, yeah. and, and also, I mean, again, as I said before, that the payment gateways alone, I mean, everybody yeah. wants to talk about, oh, it's so easy to use Stripe or so easy to use this or that. Sure. But do you want to set that up and then pay for the payment gateways and know what the rules are in every single country you want to sell? Do you want do you have bank accounts that can take that sort of information? Do you want to be responsible for chargebacks if people do chargebacks? And if you have too many, then maybe your payment processor says they're not going to work with you anymore. Like there are a lot Oof. of things that go on. You know, when when um, if, if you're of a certain size, maybe it's frustrating. And that's one reason why you've seen not on mobile, obviously, because they can't, but on the Mac anyway, where you see companies either choose not to be on the app store or to leave the app store. Um, uh, but, you know, you see other instances where companies do want to be there, even if it costs them more money, even if it, you know, causes some other issues. Actually, now that we're talking about this, that's almost a more interesting question. This this lawsuit was brought up in the in the idea around iOS. But if anything, I feel like macOS is actually the better argument in some ways, because oh. that is available on other on other venues, you do directly see the differences in prices oftentimes. You do mm. see the impact that that distribution model has on price. That's interesting. That is interesting. But it's also not a monopoly because you can choose to go. Well, you're right. You're right. Else, mm. that, okay. Yeah, there you go. That that's true. Although I mean Apple's certainly trying to encourage people to use it as much as possible. But yeah, that's a good point. You can use other well, things. Well you have yeah. to hold down options to secure it and you don't have like the security 
like you can't be as sure that what you're running is okay for your machine. Um, I I do want to say one more thing, like about the the value that Apple brings here. Mm-hmm. You know, now Grant, I've not looked at the Apple developer uh, rules for a few years now, but one of the things I always kind of I understand the logic of it, but the App Store banning private APIs, right? Yeah. To me, this is this is. I mean, if you want to talk about something that kind of does feel monopolistic to me is, you know, like getting something like Unreal Engine to work on iPhone is you're over here, you're paying for the Apple ecosystem, even though Unreal Engine, you're paying this license, you're paying a huge cost to Epic. And then even though you're not using Apple's like, you know, Xcode other than like generating, uh, you know, encrypted key pair for certificates, right? Right. You're barely using it and you're still having to pay that 30% on top of it. I mean, I could, I don't know. It, it feels like if you look at Apple and their practices with the App Store, and you compare that to like how much does Sony take from the developers? How much right. does Xbox take from developers? Mm. You know, I would really strongly suspect that that is closer to the Illinois brick company um, analogy because it is confiscatory compared to you know what the normal markup on those those prices is. And I I do think there's a good argument that thirty percent is unreasonable given what other people are charging. Yeah, I, I don't know what, what uh, Microsoft and, and Sony's cuts are and, and Nintendo's cuts are for the digital distribution things. I know that, you know, historically, they charged a lot of money for development kits, whereas, so you'd have to pay however many thousand dollars for developer kit, um, whereas, you know, Apple, okay, you pay Unreal or whatever, um, uh, but, um, you know, uh, or, or, or Unity or whoever you're going to be talking about, but you... Um, you know, they're basically only charging you $100 a year and then, you know, 30% on your, um, on, on your purchase price. But right. yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's a valid point uh, in terms of adjusting with the market. And that was sort of the interesting thing is one of the final questions, apparently, according to, to SCOTUS blogs, a uh, summary of this was um, the uh, Pepper's attorney uh, was, was asked, um, you know, uh, about uh, why, you know, this should, sh- uh, should be issued. And he made some sort of statement about, um, the fact that there weren't any other businesses that operated um, with this business model, any other retailers operated with this business model. Um, and I don't think that's true. And it was actually interesting because in Apple's, one of their responses, they actually cited the developer agreements of the Facebook store, the um, you know Microsoft store uh, for, for, for Windows Phone, the uh, you know Google Play store, Amazon store, et cetera. Um, but uh, so... Um, but so I don't know. It, it does, but it also does feel like this is a very specific to digital applications sort of thing. That if this ruling did go forward, if this if this lawsuit was allowed to continue onward, would not necessarily have impacts outside of people who are selling mobile apps. Can I tell you guys about a product called Hover? Yes, Ooh. yeah, Hover. Makes building your online identity easy. And building your online identity has never been more important. Pause. (laughs) (laughs) Time's down. Leave that in. Leave that in. Yeah, leave it in because the 
the, the, the domain that people need to buy using Hover.com is SimoneCoughing.com. Yes. <laughs> SaveSimone.com. SaveSimone.com. Save, save I will look that up. You know I'm going to look it up. But first, let me tell you that Hover lets you find the domain that shows everyone what you're most passionate about. And I am most passionate about my health. So let's do it right now. Let's go to Hover.com and use their excellent service to find me a new website. So if you're if if you're looking for a domain to represent your work or your passion or um you're planning projects for the future, maybe you have an idea that you want to put out into the world, hover <laughs> is the service for you. And I I'm I'm trying to save my own life. Okay, so save Simone. I'm just putting that in there. Kind of find out if we can save me. <coughs> Oh, it's literally, you guys, savesimone.com is only $12.99. (laughs) Or I could be really cool and I could do Uh savesim.one. Yes, yes, yes. I really like that. I like that a lot. This is great. Savesimone.me is even cheaper. That's only $9.99. So basically... That that could be my new like portfolio website. Oh, you guys, treasuresimone.com is also only twelve ninety nine. That's oh. even maybe after we save me, we can start treasuring after me. We sh- yes, <laughs> I like it. Wow, this is actually great. Here's another alternative that they offered up. Um cashsimone.com. C A C H E. <laughs> so after we save me That's and treasure not the me, kind of site you're thinking it is. We can finally <laughs> cash me. I can be cashed. <laughs> cash you outside. Anyway, I cash always have a lot up. of fun uh, looking up looking up domains on Hover, uh, and it's super easy, and the interface is super uh, easy to navigate. They have over 400 domain extensions to choose from that help you brand yourself online. That's a lot of choices to help you find the perfect domain name, no matter whose life you're trying to save. And, hey, good segue here, you're in safe hands because Hover offer best-in-class customer support with no annoying upsells. And you can even grab a personalized email that matches your domain to keep everything consistent so you can know, I'm Simone at savesimone.com. And that's how you know that you're you're speaking to the one and only Simone who must be saved from the potential of bronchitis, which I <laughs> probably don't have. But we're going to get it checked out, y'all. It's going to be fine. Good. So. Good. Can I tell a quick cover story before we move on? So, uh, you know, we, uh, Gamergate early on in my campaign, grabbed the uh uh the domain uh Brianna Wu for Congress dot com and they stupidly only got it for two years. So we mm-hmm. leaped on it and we managed to steal it back. But I was having like to reforward all our DNS records with mail and all this other stuff to have it work uh as we were migrating from uh from basically Nation Builder back to NGP Van. Like these are political uh political programs. And I called Nation Builder and I had a really unsatisfying, horrible conversation about fixing my domain uh, DNS records. Mm. And then I called Hover, who I bought the domain from, and they 
It was a dream to work with Simone. They had my problem fixed in five minutes. What? They they talked to me. This is my favorite thing. When you call a tech company and you know a lot about the subject and they don't talk down to you like, hey, little lady, let me explain to you what <laughs> is going on here. Like They talk to me with respect. And that means so much to me when I do business with someone. Does that make sense? That's really great. That's wonderful to yeah. hear. Yeah, that, that yep. should, it should be a no-brainer, but it's not necessarily... That's great. (laughs) Let's say you're a designer, for example. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm talking. I'm now I'm talking about TLDs. Guess what? We're transitioning. You're you're a designer (laughs) or another kind of creative. You can use dot design instead of using a generic dot com or dot biz domain extension, just like I am going to use dot me for safe Simone dot me. By using dot design, you're telling everyone exactly what you do. And by using dot me, I'm telling everyone who matters, and that's me. Stand out and build your online identity with the perfect domain name for you or your business. New customers can get 10% off any of the 400 plus domain extensions offered by going to hover.com slash rocket. That's H-O-V-E-R dot com slash rocket. Thank you so much, Hover, for your support of this show and all of Relay FM. Save Simone.party. Yeah. <laughs> Dave Simone dot biz. That's where that's my like multi-level marketing scheme. Yes, I like it. <coughs> wow. There are too yeah, many the options. average American spends ten thousand dollars on healthcare a year. Like you if you average it over everyone in the country, we spend ten thousand uh, dollars on healthcare a year. So that's probably how much we're gonna spend getting you you cured from this flu or whatever it is. Simone. That's probably true, and that's why we need everyone's help. <laughs> And that's why you should go to safesimone.biz today. (laughs) Don't go there and don't give money to anyone who has that domain. I swear to God, y'all. I would like go there and look at it maybe if somebody ends up buying it. But do not give them money because they're not me. I promise you. Okay. Anyway. Wow. So reviews for the PS Classic have come out. The PS Classic, of course, being... PlayStation's or Sony's plug-and-play retro console that comes with 20 games pre-installed on it that you can, quote-unquote, enjoy in the comfort of your living room. So, games aside, because we've already critiqued the games, we've critiqued the games into the ground, games aside, it seems like this hardware just does not come with some of the quality-of-life things that Nintendo made us expect when they started releasing their their NES classic, the SNES classic, like different uh different viewing options, like adding the CRT scan line. Like Nintendo has CRT scan lines, they have a pixel perfect mode, and I think they have basically an original mode. So you can kind of tweak things, but the, the PS Classic doesn't come with that at all. There are no graphical <laughs> settings. No, no, it's uh, it's pretty bare bones. Was uh, kind of the big takeaway yeah. was basically we get get the 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 crappy controller, so you're not even getting the Dual Shock. Um, even though many of the games released took advantage of the Dual Shock, that's the thing. Like uh, I understand going with the original controller with no thumbsticks, except that the games are not yeah. built to take advantage of that. Well, There's right. I mean, some that... of them are because some of them are like they're really terrible early games. But mm-hmm. some of them, I mean, uh, like even like the director's cut of Resident Evil. The first Resident Evil came out before the Dual Shock, but the director's cut came out after. Yeah, Siphon Filter 
totally all about that. Rainbow Six as well. Like, it's just one of those, like, really, like... Uh, but but also, you know, they're charging, I mean, we've already talked about this before, like, <laughs> they're charging $100 for this thing versus the, you know, 50 uh, bucks and $60 that Nintendo charged for, for their consoles. So, <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, we were kind of afraid of this after the games were announced. Yeah. But this kind of proves it that, like, the only reason it sounds like you buy this thing is to hack it. But that oh, yeah. that is that is at least 1,000% looking awesome because... Oh, yeah. Because Sony totally cheaped out other than the price. Uh, they're using, um, like, a well-known open source, like, emulator for this. And, and, and the, the, the teardown, or not the teardown, the hands-on revealed, um, like, like, last month. And, um, you know, the chipset that they're using seems like, off the shelf or whatever and so um i i again expect this thing to be to be hacked like to hell and back within within two days like it's just i have no question Mm -hmm. that that part that part of it's exciting christina there's no history of easily hacking sony hardware that's (laughs) never happened never happened you're Um, right that has never happened there's okay so first of all uh time stamp simone this is factory (laughs) (laughs) this is this is a bad product um but i you know if you really technically deep dive into this it gets even worse than what you're saying christina Uh so this is is something i cannot figure out yeah talk talk to us about this because this this is so bad yeah explain to the audience because this is in this is ridiculous okay so the european format for all these games is pal which runs at 50 hertz uh 50 hertz means basically 50 frames a second if they had just taken this and used the north american version of this game it would be running at 60 frames a second but they couldn't have been like bothered to do that. So a game like Tekken 3, which, my God, Christina Warren, I have literally been playing this game for 20 freaking years now. Mm-hmm. It's screwing up the timing. It's yep. screwing up the rendering on it just for no reason other than they couldn't have been bothered. Oh, no. no, and that is a game that needs that timing. So and, and right. it gets even worse than that. So, okay, for a couple of the games, even though it's bad, I can sort of understand. So you look at Grand Theft Auto, which was a British publisher uh, when it first came out. So that was probably maybe originally developed for PAL. I don't even know. I could kind of understand why they might have used the 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 the, the PAL version of that game. But for almost everything else, and even then, it's in just the original Grand Theft Auto. It's a bad game. You don't want to play it. But yeah, you're right. You're like, you're taking games where differences in the timing, because these are old games, so that sort of thing is reflected in, is going to look bad. It's also going to make the games kind of feel janky and slow. And then it's like, why are you doing this? You're using an open source emulator. Why not just get a ROM that is easily available on the internet in your format. Like, I don't understand this. This is, yeah, this is insane to me that like half the games are going to be playing on people's U.S. systems in the wrong freaking, like, with the wrong timings. And at this point, because of HGTVs, like, the difference between PAL and NTSC doesn't really exist in the same way as it did in CRT eras. So there's not, like, so no one's going to benefit from this. Like, this is just bad. Nobody wins. Right. Except, I guess, PlayStation, <laughs> and, who cheaped out. Or Sony, rather, who right. cheaped out. 
I mean, the other thing that really gets me, and I want to hear from you, Simone, what you think of this, but the other thing that gets me is, you know, even on the Super Nintendo, which uses pixelized graphics, mm-hmm. they included the Scanline Simulator. Now, for yep. me, because I grew up in that era, I always roll with Scanlines because it's just a, it's like it's, a low-level nice. subconscious thing. It looks better. It mm-hmm. looks it better. Does. But it's critical. It is freaking amazingly critical for a 3D polygonal graphics that you're blowing up. Oh, and one more technical thing. They upscaled it. They they don't render it. And then, like, ideally for the pipeline to make these graphics look best, you would upscale it and then you would render it, right? But they do it the opposite way, no. which is just blowing all of this up, which makes it all crappy looking. So mm-hmm. it's, I mean, so what do you think about this? Because, I mean, do you have the same, like, nostalgia for this era that Christina and I do? I definitely don't, but I do think the CRT lines look nice, and from what, what it sounds like, <coughs> sorry, excuse my cough, um, in the Ars Technica write-up of this, for some of the games that don't look that good blown up, it's kind of crucial to making it look as you are accustomed to to having it look so that you can kind of parse right. what's happening. Because they're not made to have those the harsh edges. No, well that was the whole thing is that they, especially with some of the text stuff, they would use they they would kind of make it so it looks blurry because when you had the lower resolution of a CRT screen, it would kind of like even it out. And so you know, because they try to make things look aliased and or, or anti-aliased or whatever, and and so now it has like the opposite effect. Um, I think it was a, a Polygon's review. Uh, it was either Polygon's or Kotaku's who kind of talked about how it was like it represents like an interesting kind of like weird time in gaming where we weren't where it was like more advanced than obviously like the eight bit and the sixteen bit era, but not you know where we would go with like the one hundred twenty eight bit era, which was truly kind of like the sort of I guess what we are now considering kind of like the modern era. And, 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 you know, it's kind of the first real stab at 3D graphics. Um, the Nintendo 64 obviously was better at 3D than the PlayStation was, but the PlayStation really, you know, did its part with that too. And a lot of the games people are saying just don't hold up. And I think that probably would be true even if the emulation was perfect, even if, yeah. you know, they put a lot of effort into it. Unfortunately, the, the the nature of these things and how TVs have changed and how our expectations for graphics have become, this is just not going to be one of those things that holds up the same way. Whereas I think, like like you know, um, uh, two two D games, um, especially in sixteen bits, still look really good, and a lot of people still want to recreate that style because it has just a certain aesthetic and and a certain playability that that's really attractive. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if if if, if, if this ever would have maybe been as successful and, and you know lived up to the nostalgia hype of of a Nintendo or a Super Nintendo, but it certainly feels like everything with this is being done in like the worst possible way. Yeah, it seems like outside of the the quality of the games holding up, they kind of shot themselves in the foot in terms of the quality of life changes or lack thereof that they brought to the console. I wanted to ask uh, to go back to to Tekken because as far as I understand that's one of those fighting games that is really not playable on modern TVs at all beyond like this this PAL issue which affects it. So is it is it double unplayable on this? Brianna, do you can you speak to that? Yeah. 
Of, I mean, I haven't played this yet. It'll be waiting for me when I get home. But I, Simone, I have been doing Nina's Nina Williams' ten hit string for literally since nineteen ninety five. Like that's how long I've been yeah. working this combo. It's a really exact timing to it, and mm-hmm. you can't just ask somebody to relearn that timing. So it's just. It's like you said, it's absolutely terrible. And another thing, like this really, this is something I worry about for you. Um, have you ever played the original Metal Gear all the way through? I have not. So this is the kind of game our industry just doesn't ship anymore. Yeah. Like this could not be made today. It's too story focused. There are too many cutscenes, but it's also one of the greatest games. One of the greatest stories has ever been told in our field. I mean, the music is stunning. It has a lot to say about revenge and duty and love. And it's just, this is not something our industry will ever make again. And I hate, I really hate that, you know, I think someone today could get Secret of Mana and play that on an SNES classic and could understand what was special about like 1994. But I don't think you're going to be able to understand what was special about 1998 because this is so poorly done. Yeah, um, I think that's true. I think it's also, in some ways, it makes me as frustrated as, as I am that we're not getting a super uh, Nintendo 64 classic, at least, you know, Nintendo says for now. Um, and I think that probably has as much to do with the the state of the the really cheap um, ARM processors that would re- be required to do it as, as anything else. Um, you know, uh, Reggie might make it seem like, oh, we want to, you know, have people buy stuff uh, uh, in the, you know, subscription, you know, the new Nintendo subscription or whatever to, to get the, the games. But mm-hmm. I feel like if, if they could easily make it, if the hardware would, would support the experience, they would do it. Um, uh, because, you know, Nintendo doesn't have a problem asking people to double and triple dip and <laughs> Nintendo buyers clearly don't have a problem doing it. Um, really? I definitely, I'm definitely including myself in that, you know? Um, but I feel like even it, part of me almost is relieved in a sense because I don't want, like, I have affinity towards the PlayStation and I, I loved a lot of the games, a lot of the experiences, but I, I don't love it the same way I loved the Nintendo 64. And I would feel, I don't know, I feel I'm kind of like, okay, well, at least my memories of the N64 haven't been ruined for me because I do feel like a lot of my PlayStation memories are going to be, you know, like not well-preserved because yeah. of this. Well, it seems like reading from the reviews, Metal Gear isn't the worst. It's not the worst way to play Metal Gear, except that for like for me, that controller without the yeah. twin thumbsticks would be that's outlandish no i that's agree with absurd. you i mean it is absurd and it's see and this is the thing that frustrates me is it's like that to me is such a, a cheap out thing like if i mean because okay it's like two analog sticks and a little rumble thing like what it'd be a cost of what 50 cents i don't even know you know it's just it feels like such a complete ripoff thing or well, it's a weird it like it, takes, it feels like a weird nostalgia play but without understanding exactly I guess, the value it's, of that particular change in controllers right 
Well, and that was a massive change. And it was one that, I mean, to be fair, and I think this was, again, uh, it, it was either Kotaku or, or Polygon who like, pointed out that, like, this, the N64, you know, started it. And then, um, you know, this was one of the rare times where, like, Sony took the idea and made it better. And and that's correct. And and But yet, like, this is one of those instances where it's like, yeah, the second controller was way better and set the standard. But what's also frustrating is that, okay, you don't want to ship it in the box, whatever. It has USB ports. Yeah. So why can't I use my DualShock 4 with it? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And I and, and I guarantee you because a lot of these emulators do have DualShock 4 support that one of the things that will more than likely happen maybe not with built-in games because I don't know what sort of, you know, systems they'll be on or whatnot, but because people are going to put other emulators and other things on this, I would not be surprised if there was also a way that to then get drivers on it so that you could use your PS4 controller and then play these games the correct way. It, it it's just it's funny that what's the only reason I'm not canceling my pre-order is because I'm now more convinced than ever before that like this is going to be a really, really good just like system for people who want to hack around and play around and homebrew stuff. Yeah. And, 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 you know, um, uh, potentially, you know, get into the murky waters of, of ROM stuff. Don't at me. I don't care. I have <laughs> no shame. Uh, I, I, I bought all these games many times. I don't care. Um, but I feel like that's going to be the the real market for this. Whereas both the fact that it's a hundred dollars, which puts it a little bit out of like you know insta purchase, you know, like yeah, I think for sure hundred dollars like is a PS4 that I got my the PS4 I bought last week was two hundred dollars. Let's just put that in perspective, yeah. and it came with Spider Man. Um, so you know, it, it's not really it's not really uh you know like um what's the word I'm looking for? You know the type of uh, purchase impulse buy. It's not yeah. really that sort of thing. And it's also going to have, like, not a great experience. So, I mean, obviously, we'll have to reflect, you know, withhold final judgment until we get ours and until we see what the the hack scene is like. But it it seems like this is just, I mean, this is, like, literally, like, you know, pulling defeat from the jaws of victory. Like, it would have taken so little effort to make this good, honestly. It would... It It shows Sony's lack of respect for their own legacy. And I think, like, you've got to understand, like, when the Sony PlayStation came out, you you had the Super Nintendo, you had Sega that was falling off a cliff, they completely bungled the Saturn launch. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and Sony came out of nowhere. Like, Simone, I know you care about story-based games the same Mm -hmm. way that I do. The PlayStation came forward and told stories like it was the golden age of narrative games. Final Fantasy VII, nothing like that, especially the soundtrack before. You've got to understand, I love chiptunes, but we had never had No, we hadn't had orchestra. Yes. Right. It was so powerful. And and, and, and really was, in a lot of ways, it was the modern RPG era. Like, I think that, you know, like it, it, Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VIII, uh, um, you know, some of the um uh, uh uh parasite eve like um obviously um you know resident evil like there were a lot of even like down to like uh like yeah you're you're absolutely right Bri. it was really a golden age for narrative games and games that we wouldn't have i don't think if that system hadn't worked um and and like you said it, it did came it came out of nowhere you know it was originally supposed to be um the the cd rom add on for the super nintendo and nintendo screwed over sony and <laughs> it ended up you know, that ended up being probably one of their worst business decisions ever, but it ended up being, you know, nobody thought in 1995 that you could launch 1994, whatever, you know, came out, nobody thought that you could like be a new video game company. 
Um, yeah, yeah. And then Sony did it. And then not only did they do it, but they completely obliterated the marketplace to the point that when the PS2 came out, you know, that was like the biggest system in the world. And still, I think to this day has the title for like most, you know, um, like in terms of, of, of non-handheld consoles, like most units sold. Um, I mean, Microsoft did it again with the Xbox, but it really took for the 360 for that to become like a household name. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but so like the Boobers PlayStation like is legit like one of those massive things. And I think you're right, Bree. It's like a show's not respecting their history. And I don't get it. Like I can respect maybe not wanting to like rely solely on nostalgia but like be proud of your past like this isn't something to be embarrassed about some of the games might not have held up super well but like th- it changed gaming forever put, help frankly, them put their best foot forward and frankly the one part of sony that's still profitable is their freaking gaming division like you know they don't sell laptops anymore they do well in cameras you know but like gaming is is you know, a huge part of that company's business and like, be proud of that. Be proud of like, I don't understand. Like they, they released a special, you know, PSX edition of the um, uh, PS4. And I actually mm-hmm. almost bought it because it was so good looking and I wanted it. But like, okay, so you can do that, but you can't give it your best, like even try. I'm not even saying try as hard as Nintendo tried. I'm just like saying like, try a little bit, you know, like, yeah, you have fans. You have people who who love this thing and have great memories, and and you have great properties. But from the game choices to the accessory decisions to now, you know, the PAL usage to you know the the lack of any forethought into like the menus, it just feels like again, like this could have been something that would have been so good. I mean, I don't know. I'm just excited about the letting the homebrewers get a hold of it. Excited for the hack sheet people to to get on this stuff because. That's going to make this worthwhile. They should pay the Sony homebrewers. They should pay those <laughs> hackers to fix their mess. Like Sony should show up at their house with like a million dollar check and saying, "Totally, thank you for saving our legacy. Thank you for stepping up where we failed. Thank you for showing gamers the respect that we couldn't in our own company. Wow. Thank respect you for, for doing gamers. this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys want to talk about another horrible thing? I do. Yeah, you lead us into this one. This is so good. This is the worst. So a woman in uh, Scotland, I almost said Australia. It's not Australia. It's Scotland. I thought it was Australia first, but it's Scotland. A place in Scotland called Dundee, which sounds like a place in Australia to me, but I'm ignorant. The point is, a woman, a university student in Scotland, found out that a fellow university student uh, who has not been identified has been impersonating her, or, sorry, copying her on Instagram for two years, basically recreating every photo that this woman took in her own life and posting it on her own Instagram, which as far as things that are technically harmless go, is as creepy as you could do <laughs> a thing that is technically harmless. So Simone, you're like, I mean, out out of the three of us, you have uh, the most popular Instagram. Um, uh, like, how many followers do you have? Six thousand something. Yeah, yeah, I have like, I have like five thousand something. But like, you get way more likes than me, and like, your Instagram game is way better They're than mine. Very and, like, engaged. Yeah, you're. Yes, no, your audience is like legit engaged. So I want to ask you, like, how would you feel if you found out that somebody was systemically like going around like clearly doesn't follow you this is the worst this is the part that, of the that is the worst part actually does not follow you on instagram but is literally 
take not just taking inspiration because people do that all the time, but like literally recreating every shot you have with captions, with captions, which is so so friggin weird. It feels I'm so I'm kind of of two minds on this. Because it is very creepy. And I, I would for sure feel very violated, especially because pretty much what what probably happened here is that this account was not following the woman who was copied, but there's probably an alternate account belonging to the copier oh, yeah. who was following totally. her uh, so that she could keep tabs on her. Um, the fact that they're in the same location is the worst. That's terrible. And then yeah. the other part of me feels like th- this is the exact thing that like a very misguided young person would think is h- either hilarious or would, would would kind of do just for followers or for the laughs without thinking through the ramifications of it. So I feel like obviously I can't say whether the initial uh, the woman who was copied was like in danger from this creepy ass stalker um (coughs) but i i feel like of of two minds on it i would certainly feel violated as hell i mean okay have you guys ever seen the movie single white female with bridget fonda and uh, jennifer jason lee have you seen it i've not seen it but i've read the wikipedia article for it okay okay but you need to see it because it's actually really awesome uh it it's it's uh i saw it in the theater when i was eight years old uh thanks mom oh how Um, how impactful I mean, it, it yeah, it was one of those movies. I, I mean, I'm glad I saw it in the theater, but it is one of those where I like look back and I'm like, that was an interesting choice, mom. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> but 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 this is like basically the 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 you know updated 2018 version of that, except they're not roommates. But it's like the same thing. It's so creepy that they live in the same city. Like, part of me wonders though. Like, I wonder like was this done for the lulls, or was this like somebody who I guess just really liked the aesthetic and liked the stuff and was like, oh, let me just copy this person. They'll never know. Like, I, 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 I'm so curious about that. This is where I find really, I mean, I find it hard to know how to feel about this because I feel like I'm lacking all context about what her motivations were. Like, um, you know, I could see this being some creepy, not even creepy, but some unbelievably under-socialized like art school like person that's doing some weird commentary on like the the you know the vapidness of our society you know which is like really creepy and inappropriate but harmless and then I can see it like oh this is like a you know someone who has some weird you know stalking issue and is obsessed with this woman and is legitimately dangerous when at each point like that's really really creepy but i mean i just keep thinking about andy kaufman doing something like this <laughs> oh, and yeah. do you know what i mean yeah. oh yeah when, and, and who's the who's who's the artist that the dude who you know takes the photographs of other people's instagrams where he has his comments on them like of kate moss and whatnot and then like had like the huge art installation um, that that you know got a bajillion dollars. Um, who am I? I can't think of the guy's name. But like, there's it's it's a it's a famous kind of like art case, and it is that kind of an interesting kind of copyright issue because people are like, oh, how can he use my photos and his thing? And it's like, well, I'm actually taking a photo of my comment on your photo. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like, but but in this case, it's just the recreation part. It's just creepy to me. Now, okay, when I first read this article or whatever, I we didn't know the identity of of the of the um you know um stalker or or whatever. 
has that, but I, but I find it hard to believe that in the nature of the internet, that, that that identity hasn't come forward. Has that been revealed? And has that person made a statement? Do we know? I'm going to look that up right now, actually, because that's a, a good point, because her face is all over this article, clearly, because her face is all over Instagram. Uh, her account was deleted, but that does not that doesn't stop mean anything. people from identifying her. I'm going to quickly double check on that. No, I, I'm not seeing any any new updates on this. Interesting. Okay, yeah, because I mean that that's that in and of itself is kind of surprising to me. Honestly, because, yeah. Because like I mean, the internet literally. I mean, I guess it depends on what corner of the internet you're on, but like Taylor Swift fans will literally identify. Like they will find out anytime Taylor was like seen in the background of somebody's story on Instagram at an event that Taylor was rumored to have been at. Like, and then they'll have a screen capture on it on Tumblr within like 30 minutes. It's kind of disturbing, frankly. Um, like. You know, fan yeah. fan fan girls. You know, they do the same thing. But other celebrities are like really good at tracking people down. So I'm kind of surprised that hasn't been revealed. But I wonder if um, it just didn't hit the proper corner of the internet. I, I I mean, part of me, if I if I had to assume completely baselessly the motivation, I would I would assume that it had something to do with just wanting success and followers on Instagram. By yeah. replicating something that saw some success, and I'm looking at the the likes on their photos, and it looks like they got roughly the same amount of likes on the copycat photos. But um, I'm not wow. sure what uh, the copycat account looked like before she started right. copying. Yeah, and I, I could see that as a motivation too. Again, like not knowing the situation, and there have been other instances. I've never seen it to this level, but there have been like. Instagram like uh, influencers who have accused other influencers of like stealing their photo setups and stealing mm-hmm. their ideas like that's been a known thing. What takes this to the next level is just the recreation of every single exact aspect. outfits and poses and also and like from what I understand like this girl it's not like she's like you know it's not like she makes her money off of Instagram like no, she's no. just like she's just like a normal girl like whereas. And the other way is people are like, oh, you're copying me to get SpawnCon. And it's like, okay, well, that's annoying and weird, but like, that's not, it that's doesn't, your it's business. not creepy. That's but your shady cre- business. But it's not creepy in the same way. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, you know, come up with an original idea and stand in front of uh, a different mural. Um, although at this point, you know, like every Instagram person like goes to the same five places, you yeah. know? Well, I think but, it feels but, so like, weird to us because ostensibly this is one woman's authentic life on instagram right and another woman's authentic life but it's the reveal of like how exactly how inauthentic it is which everything on instagram is at the end of the day but this is just like a very very blatant example of that I mean, when you say it like that, I do kind of wish this was like an Andy Kaufman, like Andy Warhol kind of thing. Because if this were like an art experiment, then that would actually be kind of brilliant. Not saying that it wouldn't still be creepy, but it would be kind of a brilliant like reflection yeah. on things. It's it's the motivation behind it, right? Right. Like if, but I I have to say, I think your your impression is probably the correct one, Simone. This is probably someone that was you know lonely and like. Yeah, I mean, wanting to rip off some girl. And that's the thing, like, them being in the same location. That's the That's part. what makes it so mega creepy, right? Yeah, like, you'd think if you were going to copy someone, you would choose someone who doesn't live anywhere near you. 
Right. It, it, well, it's, it's like when people who it's like people who, you know, you see on catfish and like they, you know, take on other people's identities and they're clearly not doing it because they just want to troll, but because they're lonely or have other things going on. Oof. And you're like, it, you know what I mean? Sometimes, though, you see people who will like catfish people like in the area and you're like, OK, that's just going too far. It's like if you're going to do this, it's like the unwritten rule of this is like you, you choose somebody who's not near you. Like, yeah. And this has been our instructional podcast on how to catfish. Mm-hmm. Please address your emails to howtocatfish at howtocatfish.com. Don't do that. Hey, don't catfish. catfish. At, no, uh, don't catfish at christina.is. Um, actually, that, that, that email will probably work. I think I have a catch-all for, for, for that uh, oh, no. domain. So that's, no, that's fine. I mean, it, it, actually, if you do send email to that, I would appreciate that. That would be funny. Uh It'll show that you're very engaged, that you're an engaged audience member. This is true. And we appreciate that. Okay, what are we doing this week? Christina, what are you doing? Uh, I am packing and getting ready for my two weeks away from the show and uh, my uh, two-week excursion uh, across uh, the, uh, the world. I am so excited for you. And we are going to, I think, try to line up some fun guests to have while Christina so, has so left this us. Is, this is a, yeah, this is a fun story for Rocket listeners. Your dreams of being on the show can come true. So there's true. a Rocket listener and he became friends with uh, Christina. And then out of nowhere, not even knowing he was friends with Christina, I had lunch with him in uh, Palo Alto this week. And just a super extroverted fun dude. So I'm like, hey, you want to fill in for uh, for uh, Christina next week? He's like, yes, yes, I will do that. So stay tuned for our fun mystery guest next week. That's going to be awesome. Yay. So, okay, I, I miss <laughs> when you actually leave, Christina. When can we bid goodbye to America? I leave on Saturday afternoon. Um, so, uh, and then I'm back the following, I'm, I'm back like the 15th. Or the fourteenth. I will, whatever the I will Friday think is. of yeah. you. I will think of you as you fly the world, fly the friendly skies. Yes, and 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 um, uh, for people out there, thank you so much for people who've already given their book and a podcast and and other suggestions. But if you have more of them, continue to like let me know on Twitter or uh or, or wherever, um, because I'm not going to have internet on most of the flights, and the internet that I do have will be slow. So, mm. um, you know, do you have your switch loaded up with games? I do, and I have my new iPad Pro. Downloaded a bunch of movies, oh, I have nice. books. I mean, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be really good You're in terms prepared. of content. I just, you know, I am ADD, and it's they're long flights. I'm on um, a a twelve hour or yeah, ten and a half hour flight on Saturday. Then I'm on like a two and a half hour flight. Um, then I'm on uh, like a two hour flight from uh, uh, Finland to Berlin. Then I'm on like a two hour flight from Berlin to Paris, and then I'm on a twelve hour oh, flight oh to Brazil. God. Then I'm on like a 10-hour flight from Brazil to Detroit and then a five-hour flight from Detroit to Seattle. So I'm going to be in the air a bunch. I don't like it, Christina. <laughs> Brianna, what are you up to this week? Before I say that, I want to give a super quick topic that I'm very happy about. Yeah. Uh, so today, yeah, I know both of you don't care about this, but, oh. uh, you know, yes. Yeah, so Portia today announced, huh, love it. you know, it, it came out in 1963, you two. 1963 is the first year the 9-11 came out. Actually, you two came out in 1980. (laughs) Well, sorry. I'm sorry. Keep going. Keep going. It's fine. 
1963, the Porsche 911 debuted. And this is a car with such a long, important legacy. And there are seven generations of it. And today they unveiled the eighth generation of it. It's the 992. And it's it's like I'm waiting to get reviews of it driven. But what I really love about this, and I know both of you can appreciate this, when you buy a Porsche or you look at Porsche marketing materials, it is always, always, always men, white men, like very focused on men. Like even yes. the 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 copy. It, it's like weirdly sexual, like yeah. alluding to erections and things like that. Like it's really weird. Um, and this year for the 992, their prime commercial, like outlying it, they have a, a driver that's a woman in like her 40s and she's awesome. Like she's not like in a short skirt and all that. She's like this badass in like a leather jacket. And it's just, it's such a. Oh my God, a, it's you. Right, that's how I feel. So, so cool. um no, but it's a really big step forward and I think it speaks to the fact that, you know, all kinds of people are interested in these cars. So, yeah. um anyway, I'm really psyched about this. This is a big moment it. in automotive history. So, there that's it is. That's awesome. Are are you going to are are you going to look at getting one of the new 992s? Well, I I like the Boxster because it's a smaller car. Right. Uh, one of the things is this car weighs 55 pounds more than the last one. The reason is they've made the gearbox so it can change and become a hybrid or a fully electric car in future models. Oh. So, okay. so, maybe, gonna, so maybe you wouldn't get yeah. this one, but like a future right. one if they, if they made like a, an electric or whatever. Yeah, my next my next new car purchase will be an all electric vehicle. So, um, but yeah, it's really exciting about that. Uh, other than that, I am uh, headed back home uh, after a trip through Silicon Valley uh, on Sunday. Uh, I'm going straight to my husband playing Santa Claus <laughs> for uh, about 300 children in Dedham uh, and a now convention. What? Yeah. Right? Frank dressed up as Santa Claus. I like, love ho, it. Ho, Please ho. take photos and share them I'm with us because we want to see this. This is so it, good. It's so good. And he's like, do you think, I mean, I'm Chinese. Do they know I'm Chinese? And I'm like, you can be Chinese Santa, Frank. Come on. Yeah, like, seriously. Like, of course you can. No one cares. Uh, so I'm going back to do that. I am. That, this sounds like the That's best so thing good. to go home to. <laughs> That's adorable. What am I doing this week? Um, I'm back at work after being sick for a long time. Um, so I'm kind of, I'm honestly just playing catch up this week. Um, but I, I am trying to write a preview of an Assassin's Creed board game prototype that I did not enjoy. So that's my <laughs> oh, big no. challenge of the week is oh, no. um, figuring out how to phrase that. I think you just... I'm I'm the world's biggest uh, Assassin's Creed stan. I didn't love this. That's what Charlie. Yeah. That's what uh, the my editor that I'm working with suggested I do, which is <laughs> currently my lead. Hopefully, it's not too trite. That's the right way. I, that's how I would go. Anyway, how are you feeling physically? Like, are you at twenty percent? Are you at sixty percent? I'm much closer to sixty. I just have this hell cough that will not go away. Oh. All right, all right. So we we got you to go to the doctor. Now we need to get you to go back because 
No, seriously, because you might be feeling better now, but if it goes into like bronchitis they do need to or listen to my lungs, whatever, I need them to put the stethoscope on. Did I tell you yes. guys, man, the flu test that they gave me to confirm that I do not have the flu, they stuck a Q-tip all the way up my nose and it Ew. was horrible. Mhm. Oh my god. Oh, that. Yeah, no, they need to I don't Yeah, I know. They need to listen to your chest because if it goes into pneumonia, then that's you don't want that. I know. I say oh, you go the other way when I'm trying to get back on my feet and I've been sick. I just like double my run. So you want to go outside <gasps> and go for like a, a I 15, honestly keep feel it like easy. I, yeah. from just being so lethargic for the past two weeks, I feel like I need some kind of gentle exercise. Like I'm, I'm trying to do <laughs> like yoga stretches every day because I, I rode the bus to Boston last week for Thanksgiving and I swear to God, I my feet just started cramping up. I felt like I had aged 50 years just from oh. the combination of being horizontal and for two weeks and then yeah. plus sitting after that. Oh, my God. It has been a nightmare. Anyway, enough about I, I feel I, I'm literally an 80 year old woman. All I can talk about because all that's <laughs> happened to me for the past two weeks is my horrible health. <laughs> Please go back to the city MD or wherever and get your lungs checked because we kind of Ew. need you and take it from somebody with experience. Like pneumonia is not fun. Uh, nope. And, and it, 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 and it, it, you'll miss more work. It's more of a pain in the butt. I promise you, I will take care of my lungs. I will make sure that they are empty as the day they were born. I assume oh, that's what they should be. Let I know a lot pink. about anatomy. <laughs> Dr. Simone. Dot com. <laughs> Yes, that that that's what we need. Not Dr. Simone. There we go. Com. Uh, Christina, where can we find you online? You can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and on the Instagrams. And stay tuned to my Instagrams because I'm going to be doing Insta stories, including my uh, patented, not patented, but people do like them very much, uh, hotel tours. Yay. So, uh, so that that will be a thing. So uh, I can I'm, be jealous my, of you. Yeah, I, I uh, might also do them. Uh, I'm going to do a little mini, um, I guess, a business class seat reviews of the different planes as well. So, oh. uh, uh, I mean, why not? Um, and uh, and also taking up, uh, you know, like things from the other parts of the cities that I'm in and and things like that. So stay tuned to be for on Instagram. And uh, you can find the stuff that I do at work at uh, YouTube.com slash Microsoft Developer. Hey, Brianna, what about you? Uh, you can see me on my all new Instagram, which is copy Christina on Instagram. <laughs> yes. Where I will be reviewing various chairs around my home and telling people that their business classes, uh, uh, seats on airplanes. Or you can see me on Twitter at, uh, Brianna Wu. Brianna Wu. Wow. And you can find <laughs> me on Twitter at Doom Quasar, although I actually haven't logged in in a, a couple weeks now. And you can find me at youtube.com slash polygon, which is where all of my videos live. Thank you so much for listening to Rocket. I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, I hope that you leave a review on Apple Podcasts because that's something very cool that you can do to help the show get visibility and get more listeners. And if it has more listeners, then you have more friends to talk to about Rocket. All right, everyone, this episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 <laughs>